Hello and welcome to Skepticast, the podcast that makes you cocktail party smart in 15 minutes or less. Today, we're talking about a very depressing subject, meat processing plants. But first, wait, what? A segment in which my producer Mimi, who steadfastly refuses to co-host, reads me the best and worst headlines of the week. Amy Klobuchar withdraws as candidate to be Biden's running mate. As a follow-up, I also have withdrawn from consideration for the Academy Awards, and that was a very difficult thing for me to do because I know I was such a likely contender to win Best Actor, Director, Writer, and Producer, but I've decided to step aside to create space specifically for women of color, and I do that humbly, and that's why I wrote a long letter about it and posted it on all of my social media channels. With LGBT ruling, Supreme Court hands liberals a surprise victory. Two of the court's Republican appointees joined the court's Democratic appointees to deliver an unexpected 6-3 triumph for LGBT advocates. I love even the way that that's phrased, like they deliver liberals a victory, because for conservatives, LGBT people getting more rights is a loss. Like, girl, history, how many times does it have to repeat itself before you get that it is repeating itself? Like, how do you think you're going to look in 30 years, 40 years? You're not going to be the good people in the textbooks that our kids are reading, okay? Ugh, I'm really happy, though. I mean, gays deserve a paycheck. A bear attacks a woman. She fights it off with her laptop. She fought back vigorously, which is what you should do with any wildlife in California. She was definitely not a millennial because I feel like I know a lot of millennials who given the choice between getting viciously mauled by a bear and giving up their laptop, they would definitely choose the former. They would be updating their Twitter or whatever as they were just being dragged through the forest. Might have been Gen Z because Gen Z, I don't think they even know what a laptop is. They're like, I don't know, is that what old people use to watch TikTok? They're going to kill us all. The Washington Redskins say their controversial name will undergo thorough formal review, building on initial talks with the NFL. <laughs> Wait, what, what is there to review? Your name is the Redskins. There's nothing to review. Oh, existence of gravity to undergo review. Whether or not the name Redskins is racist to undergo review. I'm really excited for what they're going to come up with, though, if they do change it. Because I think that we are very close to getting an NFL team called the Aunt Jemimas, now that that name is free. Robin Hood and Hertz, the troubling saga of a bankrupt stock. Wait, this sounds like a weird buddy comedy where Robin Hood comes back and has to get a rental car to get Princess What's-Her-Name. And then the movie is about the rental car agent and Robin Hood going across and trying to like steal from the rich to give to the poor. And then they find themselves along the way. Wait, what was the deal? Why is Robin Hood involved in a Hertz bankruptcy? So I think this is actually Robin Hood, the stock trading app. And Hertz, the rental car company, filed for bankruptcy, but then they asked a bankruptcy judge to let them issue new equity to get cash instead, which the judge approved. And the reason for that was that a lot of individual traders, like retail investors, were buying Hertz stock on Robinhood. But I think the SEC actually eventually blocked it, so they didn't let Hertz issue new equity. 
I love spending hours and hours and hours in my finance classes in business school to learn things about debt versus equity and bankruptcy and like the rules only to then a few months later learn that everything I learned is just kind of subjective. It's just on a whim. And so the fact that people were buying shares of Hertz as they were going bankrupt. I mean, I love that there are still like debates about is capitalism broken? Like you're buying shares in a company as it goes bankrupt. I feel like the answer is yes. Meat plants have been in the news recently because of coronavirus outbreaks in various factories, causing at least 30 major plants to close. Additionally, 10,000 workers have become infected or exposed, and at least 30 plant workers and four USDA safety inspectors have all died from coronavirus in the last two months. The plant closures have led to meat shortages in certain parts of the country, with big outlets like Costco limiting the number of meat items per customer. But at the same time, other farmers in other parts of the country have nowhere to send their animals, and they've had to cull 2 million of them. I should say here, cull is a euphemism for suffocating, euthanizing, or straight up shooting them in the head. I told you it was depressing. The impact of factory farming on the environment and on animals has been well publicized in the last decade. After the documentary Food, Inc. brought renewed public attention to big agriculture's exploitation of animals and natural resources in 2008, a number of other documentaries followed up on it, like Cowspiracy and Cockfight. Yes, those are actual documentaries and not just the name of Alex Jones' rejected Quibi segments. What hasn't been as well understood is the impact on public health. We've all seen the images of these overcrowded and unsanitary conditions that these animals live in, so are we really surprised the people working there aren't treated much better? How did we get here? First, we'll talk about industry consolidation and deregulation. Then, we will talk about how these conditions have created a total shitstorm for trade and public health, And lastly, why we have reason to think the next pandemic could come from factory farms. I can't wait till I become wildly famous and I get to say something like that and then I trigger some mass sell-off or like paranoid fears. Honestly, it's in everyone's best interest for me to stay niche. First, a little background on how the industry is set up. The meat supply chain is pretty straightforward. Farms raise the animals, they send them to meat processing plants, which kill the animals and package the products, and then ship them to wholesale buyers like grocery stores and restaurants. Every part of this process has been consolidated in the last several decades. Independent farms are dwindling. 99% of farmed animals in the U.S. live on factory farms. That's according to a study from the Sentience Institute. The Sentience Institute is an anti-speciesism think tank, founded by people who appear to be performing in an SNL sketch about a Brooklyn food co-op, but we looked into their numbers and they do look pretty good. Food and Water Watch estimates that from 2000 to 2010, there was a 21% decline in the number of hog farmers. The top 40 hog farmers today account for two-thirds of production. From 1965 to 2020, there was a 70% decline in the number of slaughterhouses, and purchases from meat plants are increasingly dominated by a few players, notably fast food chains like McDonald's. Second, businesses have really been trying to maximize profits. God, they always do that. They're such dicks. Anyway, businesses have tried to speed up every part of this supply chain, aided by deregulation. Pigs are sent to slaughter after six months of age, and chickens are sent to slaughter at 42 days. That's like Chinese gymnastics team young. The use of hormones speeds up their development, as a natural chicken would not reach maturity until five months. Five months, that's when you get that like nice thick chicken running around, like that good chicken, but then we just shoot something in them and then we kill them at 42 days old. Now, as soon as these animals reach their goal weight, they need to be sent out to the meat processing plant so that they stop taking up resources on the farm. 
It's kind of like when your parents are sad to see you leave for college, but are also secretly overjoyed because it costs $250,000 to raise and feed a human child up to the age of 18. So when the livestock gets plump, like a woman in Hollywood, it's sent far, far away to die. Meat plants have, of course, sped up to keep up with the rapid breeding. Long before COVID, the USDA was moving to limit regulation on the line speeds in meat processing plants. The USDA granted permission to chicken processors to boost speed by 25% on production lines, and late last year approved an inspection system that would let pork plants abolish line speed limits. Those line speed limits currently are set at 1,106 hogs per hour, or 3.25 seconds per hog. The USDA has said it expects 40 high-volume hog plants, which represent 93% of the pork industry's capacity to eventually adopt the new system. Animal slaughtering, excluding poultry, already had the second highest incidence of non-fatal occupational illness in 2018. A lot of the butchering work is still done by humans. The repetitive nature of the job makes rotator cuff injuries and tendonitis very common. But increasing the line speeds also means that workers are standing shoulder to shoulder in order to keep up with the conveyor belt, which makes it almost impossible to socially distance. Okay, look, I know none of this is funny, but can we go back to that line speed thing? I'm not gonna lie, I do find the image of hogs just fucking flying through a plant on a conveyor belt to be hilarious. Then you remember they're like hurtling to their death, and that they're among the smartest animals, so they're actually aware they're being sent to their deaths, and then it gets sad. I did have bacon this morning, though, so I don't know. Those species people are going to cancel me. So that's some background on the industry. It's consolidated significantly over the past several decades, and that's created potentially unsafe conditions, especially for its workers. Anyway, this brings us to what is happening today. At a JBS plant in Minnesota, one of the nation's largest hog slaughterhouses, the insane crowding of workers in plants has led to 680 of the plant's 2,200 workers, over 30%, to test positive for COVID. The industry typically slaughters around 510,000 pigs daily. But COVID-induced closures have reduced daily demand by approximately 20%, leading to a backup on farms, raising the prospect of having to euthanize them. You might be wondering, what do farmers do with the carcasses? Or maybe you had a healthy relationship with your family. But we looked into it anyway. Farmers either bury these carcasses or they send them to rendering plants. Rendering plants turn carcasses into biodiesel or ingredients of common household products like fabric softener, shampoo, and... Condoms. I love that with one episode, I am ruining your diet, your hygiene, and your sex life all in one go. Having to render these animals instead of selling them to meat processors could result in devastating economic loss to farmers, particularly what is left of the small farmers. To help alleviate the pressure, President Trump signed an executive order to keep meat processing plants open during COVID. Maybe he was trying to make up for the fact that he totally screwed them with his China trade war in the last two years. Last year, China, the largest importer of pork from the U.S., was facing a shortage of pork, but U.S. hog farmers couldn't take advantage of that opportunity because of a 62% tariff that China put on U.S. pork in retaliation. The last few months, however, even as domestically Costco and other retailers were warning of a shortage, the U.S. exported 9,000 tons of pork to China in April, the highest monthly total in the last three years. If you're confused by this, let me add one more thing into this, because China operates a strategic pork reserve. Yes, this is true, but the exact amount is a state secret, because China. You've got to hand it to the Chinese government, you know? They managed to keep a lot of things secret, like how much pork they have, their hacking secrets, and where their Uyghur Muslims went. 
But what's really messed up is the reason China was suffering a shortage of pork last year was due to swine fever decimating its domestic supply of pigs. Pandemics have been a huge disruptor of meat trade in the last decade. China stopped accepting poultry imports from Tyson due to the large number of corona outbreaks in Tyson plants. In 2015, they banned U.S. poultry when U.S. farms were experiencing an outbreak of avian flu. A hot mess of a trade policy decades of industry consolidation, and an old-fashioned pandemic laid bare underlying vulnerabilities in our meat supply chain, especially around efficient allocation of supply and worker safety. And that brings us nicely to our final section, why factory farms will kill us all. That's not entirely true, of course. Actually, according to the Food and Agricultural Organization of the UN, quote, Smallholder livestock systems, which tend to involve animals roaming freely over large areas but in relatively high densities, could also easily spark the next pandemic. Well, since we're all going to die, I'm going to bulk order some bacon and start texting all my exes. Of course, it is true that no animal farm is entirely safe. Just ask boxer the Clydesdale. He was a loyal supporter of the pig's revolution against the bourgeois exploitative farmers only to end up being sent to a glue factory so the pigs could buy whiskey. 1984, man. That book's fucked up. Anyway, according to Sonia Shah, author of the book Pandemic, experts' greatest concerns for what might cause a pandemic are severe avian influenza and drug-resistant bacterial pathogens, both of which occur on factory farms. Strains of avian influenza have already been observed, notably the H1N1 epidemic in 2009 that originated on a pig farm in Mexico and it ultimately killed hundreds of thousands worldwide. There was also the H5N1. I don't know what the H stands for, but I guess H5 had to outdo H1. The H5N1 virus in China in the late 90s had a 60% mortality rate. Luckily, it wasn't very good at jumping from humans to animals, so not that many people died, but it does seem like we're playing with fire here. A paper in Frontiers in Veterinary Science, and girl, you know I never miss an issue of Frontiers in Veterinary Science, said that the overwhelming majority of conversion events from low pathogenic to high pathogenic avian influenza in the last half century have occurred in high-density factory farms. Rob Wallace, an evolutionary biologist, explained that in the wild, you don't want to kill your host too fast before you can get into the next host. Otherwise, you're cutting off your own line of transmission. The faster you replicate, the more likely you end up killing your host before the next host can come along. But at a factory farm, there's no risk of that. So these diseases can just rip on through. In other words, if chickens are running around in a field, eating and boning when they want to, they might still carry some viruses, and those viruses might turn into something more serious, but it's much less likely. However, when you take chickens and stack them on top of each other in a confined space and drastically reduce genetic diversity through controlled breeding, just like the royal family, well, that little chicken virus mutates and suddenly World War Z is a documentary. Similar cases were actually observed in turkey, geese, and even ostrich farms. I want an ostrich. Not a farm, just like one ostrich. Actually two, so then they could have a friend, you know? Also, apparently if I have more than two, their viruses could mutate and start a global pandemic. On to the second major concern, drug-resistant bacterial pathogens. In November 2019, the CDC released a major report on the threat of antibiotic-resistant diseases. One of the first lines of the report says, Stop referring to a coming post-antibiotic era. 
It's already here. You and I are living in a time when some miracle drugs no longer perform miracles and families are being ripped apart by a microscopic enemy. Okay, I love that the CDC brought the drama with that sentence. And it was written by CDC director Robert Redfield, who looks like Santa's uncle from Kentucky. The report estimates about 3 million people, or 1% of the US population, face a significant threat of death from an antibiotic-resistant disease, and without precautions, that number could grow significantly. China's animal markets have been getting a lot of negative press in the wake of COVID-19. Robert Lawrence, a professor emeritus of environmental health at Johns Hopkins, told Vox that those markets are high risk because of the high level of contact between humans and undomesticated animals. However, factory farms are the perfect breeding ground for a super strain of antibiotic-resistant viruses. In other words, if you thought Miss Rona and her boyfriend that bat were bad, wait till you see what an assembly line of drugged-up Wilbers could produce. One study estimated 80% of antibiotics used in the U.S. today are for agricultural purposes. This triggers a fun little cycle. Animals are injected with antibiotics. Then they poop because, hey, everybody poops. Then that poop is used as fertilizer. Fruits and vegetables can be contaminated by use of manure for fertilizer. Combine this with frequent use of pesticides, and basically we are creating a ninja warrior training gym for super strains of viruses, which, when they break out, will be extremely high risk. The CDC report also includes recommended action items centering on cooperation with the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Department of Veterans Affairs, Department of Defense, Department of State, and Department of Agriculture. I mean, efficient cooperation and coordination across five different government bureaucracies? (laughs) I feel better already. One agricultural analyst has described impact of COVID on the meat supply chain as, quote, a black swan. First, let's clarify that Nassim Taleb, the man who developed the black swan theory, specifically stated pandemics are not black swan events. They're just rare events, but they happen with statistical certainty, which is the literal opposite of a black swan. He instead calls these white swans. Anyway, I don't really care if the swan is black or if it's white. If it's hopped up on antibiotics and breeding super viruses with 10,000 of its genetically identical BFFs, we're going to need a lot more face masks. Thank you so much for listening to this week's Skepticast. In order to achieve my goal of one day being cancelled, this podcast can't be. So please review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe, and follow us on Instagram at The Skepticast. Our Instagram meme account is a great way to keep up to date on our latest episodes and learn more about the ongoing feud between myself and producer Mimi. 